When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. The Premier League is back. This is the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects we love about the beautiful game. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as always, is transfer guru Duncan Castles. We will be bringing you lots and lots of market news ahead of, of course, the window itself opening uh, this Friday, uh, officially. We've got news from Chelsea, RB Leipzig. We've got news from Paris Saint-Germain, from Newcastle United, Leicester City. It's it's a real... Uh, Smorgasbord, Duncan, I think, is the only way I can describe it with regards to what we've got on offer today. We're going to start today in the French capital, where Paris Saint-Germain are proposing to offload some of their most famous players, but also their most well-paid. Chago Silva, their captain since 2012, is out of contract and will not be offered a new deal uh, as uh, the director of football at PSG has told us. We have information that, of all clubs, Everton um, are ahead in the race to sign uh, the Brazil international. He has been offered a two-year deal, which consists of one year plus one year extension, which would be triggered by a 25 appearance clause in the first season of his contract. We understand also that they're willing to offer him around €4 million Euros net in terms of his salary, which doesn't quite uh, get up to where he is at the moment with Paris Saint-Germain, but at 35, I'm sure not so bad. Duncan, we've um, had conversations about Silva in the past, and we, I think, both are agreed that he's someone who, as a professional, um, you'd be worth taking a chance on him with regards to his ability to play into his late 30s. Clearly, Carlo Ancelotti wants a commanding and a very uh, experienced presence in his central defence. Would you say this would be a good move for both the club and the player? Look, I, I think Thiago Silva was the best defender in the world at one point in his career. I think um, it's no coincidence that uh, Brazil crashed out in, in the most humiliating fashion from their own World Cup in 2014 when Thiago Silva was removed from their defence um, for the semi-final against Germany. Um, he was a brilliant footballer. I think he still is a brilliant footballer, but um, he's been at Paris Saint-Germain for eight years. Um, right. Another aspect of, of how good he is is the number of times that Barcelona tried to sign the player and, and, and install him in their defence, their consideration that he was the, the ideal solution for them. But Paris Saint-Germain have decided to let him go. Um, I, 
he has a, a kind of questionable injury record um, in his latter years. Um, it, it would be fascinating to see what he could achieve working for Carlo Ancelotti, who obviously knows him, having coached him before and, and playing in the Premier League um, and seeing how he can deal with the, the pace and physicality of the Premier League at that age. I think he's still capable of top performances. Um, we've seen them, for example, um, when Paris Saint-Germain played Liverpool in the Champions League, um, when he's motivated and and uh, and trying to get that result and obviously winning the Champions League with Paris Saint-Germain is a great goal. He he shows all his qualities there, but um, it it's uh, it's a risky signing, I think, even though it comes without transfer fee. Um, as you say, the wages will be substantial. Uh, he will be 36 years of age in, in September. Um, so you're not going to get um, uh, many years out of him. Um, but I suppose the, the, the plus side is with a manager like Ancelotti, you've got someone who has an expertise in handling players uh, physically at that age um, and extracting the best performances from him. And he would get a leader in the dressing room. Um, and he would get a player he knows and, and trusts inside out. Um, there are other clubs interested. I know he is under consideration um, by Jose Mourinho at Tottenham, uh, which does not come as a surprise. We told you some time ago that Mourinho had been told by Daniel Levy there would essentially be no budget for transfer fees this uh, summer window. Um, that the extensive work that needs to be done in the squad would have to be done um, by taking players who were available on free transfer or could be signed as uh, on loan deals with an option to buy or could be brought in in exchange for players who are surplus to requirements. Um, Mourinho wants a centre-back, an experienced centre-back. There's a limited number of top-quality centre-backs who are available without transfer fee. Thiago Silva was one of them. So he, I understand, has been looking at that. But I'm also told that there are reservations uh, along the lines of, of those I've detailed about whether he, he is the right fit for Tottenham at present. Um, I think the, the question mark is a player who has made as much money from the game and has achieved as much as he has um, so far in his career. Um, does he have the focus and the determination to perform at the top level week in, week out through an entire Premier League season? And therefore, uh, do you want to take the player? Obviously, for Tottenham, those, those high um, salary costs would be a problem for Daniel Levy. And, uh, and I think um, it's, a, it's a question of having a budget uh, in terms of salaries uh, for the multiple positions that Mourinho wants to fill and taking Thiago Silva would take a, a significant chunk of that budget just on, on one centre-back position. That would be my concern in terms of Tottenham's interest, uh, Duncan, would be the financial cost of employing a 35, well, as you said, almost 36-year-old uh, central defender for two years. And to be fair to Everton, um, from what we know of the proposed deal for him to move to Goodison Park, they've been quite cautious in uh, the one plus one year and also there being an appearance-related clause in his contract with regards to the renewal. 
Um, the salary is generous, for sure, in, in the circumstances. But at the same time, you're getting a fairly you know, notable world star um, mm. to go to Goodison Park and play football. And we know that Everton fans are keen on their cult heroes. And, uh, and therefore, Silva, would, to me, would re- uh, represent someone who the fans would get behind who, as you said, Ancelotti knows how to coach senior players, i.e. those when to rest them, when not to train them, how to motivate them. Um, he's done it for his entire career. Uh, I, I think Everton and Silva are actually quite a good fit, probably more so than Tottenham, where fans can be quick to turn and criticise if you've not had a good game. Um and of course, you have the possibility of, um, as we both know uh, from uh, parting with Brazil international players, uh, <laughs> a Brazilian player in London, and you're asking for trouble. <laughs> you you can be depending on the player's um, uh, character and, and what he likes to do in his his free time. This is true. I, I think another factor here is with Thiago Silva who. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain obviously want to use to the end of their Champions League campaign you have a problem of getting him into your squad and integrating him into your squad um, as as a Premier League side because we still don't have uh, definite timings um, for the the completion of the Champions League we're hoping to hear those from UEFA today Uh, there are discussions going on um, today about the the scheduling of, of the Champions League, Europa League, and other UEFA competitions, but the the plan has been for those to be completed in August, which means um, you would not have him for whatever abbreviated preseason we have between the end of this Premier League season, if it um, ends as as the Premier League hopes hopes it will. We don't have the problems with COVID um, stopping it en route, and the start of the next season. Um, and uh, I, I think, look, that this is going to be talking to people involved in the transfer market at the moment. This is going to be one of the difficulties of this transfer market, apart from not knowing the dates um, in which the window is going to be open for all of the leagues yet. Um, you're going to have a, a cadre of players who will still be involved in European competition in a period which will be the pre-season um, for a number of leagues. Um, and you have to work out whether you want to sign a player in, in those circumstances and bring him in and, and make a big investment in him. And, and perhaps, I mean, the probability is you would suffer the same kind of difficulties you do with a January transfer. We see managers now regularly talking about how they don't like to buy in January because it's hard to integrate a player into the squad. And so Thiago Silva has those Champions League matches to play for Paris Saint-Germain. He also has the French Cup final to play, um, which is currently being rescheduled, or they're trying to reschedule for, um, I believe, the 24th of July. Um, And fascinating that the the French Federation, the the president of the French Federation, actually wants that game in France to be played uh, with a full crowd um, because the money from the French Cup final goes direct to the, the French Federation, even though... Um, the league was curtailed and uh, and the French government said uh, no more football in France, um, no more league football in France until September. 
Love to see self-interest still playing a big part in football, regardless of the pandemic. Uh, interesting, Duncan, that you mentioned the uh, proposed mini-tournament, which will conclude uh, in UEFA's plan uh, in Lisbon in terms of completing the Champions League this August. Because Timo Werner, it has been reported, um, has indicated his desire not to complete the season with RB Leipzig in the Champions League and instead to make his move to Chelsea. Much wanted, much mooted. Uh, instead, which of course would be a pre-season uh, training camp for Chelsea and their new €60 million Euro striker. However, despite reports of the deal being done, it is our information that there are negotiations ongoing which are being held up by two aspects. One is the commission, which is due to Werner's agent, Karl-Heinz Forster. Uh, at €60 million, Euros, it was agreed to be 10% if the buyout clause was met. However, there is a dispute over um, how that money will be paid whether it's being paid by his current club, Leipzig, or whether it's being paid by Chelsea, or whether they split the commission. But there's also a problem for Leipzig because they have expressed their specific wish that the player be retained to complete the season in Germany, and that's not just the Bundesliga. But more importantly, the Champions League in August. Now, that of course would represent a risk to Chelsea and the transfer if the player was to be injured in that time. Our understanding is there's currently a discussion regarding the insurance and who would pay for the insurance if the player was to be injured in that time as well. Whether or not Chelsea can force the issue and get the player to Stamford Bridge without him being involved in the remainder of RB Leipzig's season. And this is one of the problems, Duncan, obviously, that uh, this extended and suspended season, as well as the Champions League format, has presented to both players and clubs and, and even agents. I mean, I know we don't have much uh sympathy sometimes for agents in these situations, but they're the ones looking after their players' interests. But it looks like Werner is being held in limbo here a little bit because of these two factors. Yeah, it's it's a complicated one legally because uh, obviously he signed that new contract with Leipzig last summer, um, very determinedly putting a release clause into the deal for a specified period, which was supposed to be when the transfer window was open. And because of COVID, the transfer window isn't open. So then you have the uh, you have Chelsea coming in, uh, trying to use that release clause to um, take him away from Jurgen Klopp, who um, Werner would prefer to go and play for, and who had made extensive um, efforts to convince um, Werner that the right place to come and play in the Premier League was at Liverpool. Look, Chelsea have used that clause to um, to take a priority position over Liverpool in terms of completing the deal. But uh, 
obviously he still has to see the Bundesliga season to complete. Um, and you have this argument over, well, if we uh, utilize the clause and pay you the full amount of money, then we, we don't want to see him playing any more games for you. We don't want to see uh, him risking uh, being injured and us having to deal with, uh, with being committed to a, a significant transfer fee and high wages on a player who is not the... Um, the, the player we expected to get. Um, Duncan, and he, sorry, is, sorry. He, is, he is obviously still obliged to play for Leipzig because he signed a, a contract to play until the end of the Bundesliga season. Uh, and, it, and the Bundesliga season that just happens, Bundesliga and Champions League season just happens to now have overlapped and gone beyond um, the release clause period in his contract. So it's, it's unprecedented really to have a um, it, it is, Duncan. Sorry to interrupt there, but but were you surprised to see him turn out for RB Leipzig last weekend, given that the deal in principle to Chelsea has been agreed? You're talking about an incredibly valuable asset to both Leipzig in terms of receiving the money and to Chelsea in terms of spending it. And yet the player was there, you know, turned out for Leipzig. I mean, it seems to me like not everything has been quite put in place yet well if Chelsea had the commitment from Leipzig that uh, the player was theirs and he was not going to continue playing for him any longer then obviously he wouldn't have played in that match um, I believe your information is that Werner if the option was presented to him if Liverpool were to come in and um, pay the money Leipzig want for the player that Werner would prefer to go to Liverpool still if, if that opportunity was presented to him. That has not been denied in any conversation I've had with people close to Timo Werner. Um, I'm not saying that the player does not want to move to Chelsea. Um, clearly, there has been uh, extensive uh, conversations and the player is actively considering and I suspect is... Um, expecting to move to Stamford Bridge. However, as we've reported in the podcast for more than a year, his preference was always to go to Anfield and play under Jurgen Klopp. And the fact of the matter is, this is not a closed deal. This is something which is ongoing. Now, legally, the release clause in his contract has now expired. He's therefore, if the uh, binding agreement with Chelsea is not watertight regarding dates, then he could still be free to speak to Liverpool. And therefore, uh, a transfer to Liverpool could still be a potential outcome for, uh, for Timo Werner. Now, that's something which I don't think people have been taking into account. Everyone just assumes now that he's definitely going to Chelsea, but uh, in actual fact there is still the possibility that he may uh, move to Liverpool. Now, I'm not saying that that is the most obvious outcome of this particular transfer saga. However, it's certainly the case that that remains an option. So um, it will be very, very intriguing to see what uh, transpires over the next few days because, as, as we know, the player himself would be much more keen to move and play under Jurgen Klopp. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those, Duncan, where we have to hold our breath 
see what happens. Obviously, on the Transfer Window podcast, we'll bring you that information and that news first, as we always do. I can add an additional bit of information in here, which is the briefing around why Chelsea had taken the, the lead on um, the team of Werner deal coming out of Liverpool has been, this is a response to COVID. Um, Liverpool's finances are in a state where they do not feel 60 million euros is an appropriate plus um, significant wages and appropriate deal to get involved in. And therefore they have stepped away from it because of financial concerns. The information I have is that Liverpool still remain um, keen uh, and prioritising the recruitment of a forward of Timo Werner's type um, for the reasons we've discussed in the podcast several times to have uh, a successor to uh, Sadio Mane um, and Mohamed Salah should either of them or both of them uh, decide to uh, fulfil their ambition to go and play in, in La Liga before they finish their careers. Both of them 28 uh, very soon. So you're getting to that period where Liverpool, uh, there's an economic sense should a big offer for one or, or both of those players come in uh, to let them go, uh, take what would be a massive profit on either of both players and reinvest it in a younger player who fits their system, who's been carefully scouted. We know how good their recruitment is. We know how intelligent they've been about buying and selling players. Um, the guidance I have is they are uh, they are still looking in that position. They still want to do something in that position um, and that they have money um, there to do so. Um, it's not the case that they're looking for creative, um, cheap deals, someone to fill in uh, for a season until uh, they get back on um, proper financial grounds. That's not the information I'm hearing. It's this position is important to us and we are prepared to spend money on it. So there's a disconnect there between the briefings and the explanation as to why um, Werner is headed for Chelsea and, um, and the work that their recruitment department is doing um, in the background, which is intriguing. As said, this is, and we have said, Duncan, that this will be one of the most unpredictable transfer windows, possibly the most unpredictable in the history of when the window was introduced. And of course, we here at the Transfer Window podcast, as I said, will keep you updated with all the latest and accurate information on every move that's happening across the market. We move to Newcastle United and the takeover, which seems to me, Duncan, to be taking a, an awful long time. And um, I think to the Geordie faithful, they are um, would like to be celebrating down the big market every day. But the, every day, uh, you know, they don't seem to be getting the result they wanted. Um, reports in the last 24 hours suggest that there might be a rival bid to the one from the Saudi Public Investment Fund, which of course has an exclusive agreement with Mike Ashley regarding taking over the club in full. Uh, Duncan, the Premier League, um, 
I'm not saying they're briefing because that would be too strong, but there's a, there have been some indications subtly that they may make an announcement this week regarding the decision on the Saudi Arabia takeover of the St. James Park Club. Now, it would be unusual for them to do that, that's for sure. Usually they leave it to the clubs to make these announcements. But given the controversy which has both uh, engrossed and surrounded this particular bid for a Premier League football club, it may be the case that the Premier League decide to take the, well, take the reins basically and say, right, okay, we're going to give you our response, given all the questions over uh, TV rights piracy, human rights, etc., etc., which we're all very familiar with. What's the update, Duncan, in terms of um, where the bid is believed to be? And do we have any um, concern or idea that, uh, the, as I said, the reports of a rival bid are concrete or indeed uh, of any threat to the Saudi bid? Well, lots of people have been interested in Newcastle United for a long time. I <laughs> don't don't uh, don't need to uh, uh, to pass any new information on to Newcastle United supporters in that respect. There've been plenty of stories about takeover. Plenty of people who've had their uh, the name all over um, the uh, national newspapers of this country and uh, going on the record about their interest in, in buying the club and um, and nothing has transpired. And, uh, you know, my information is Mike Ashley got very tired of uh, the number of people who were, who wanted to uh, talk to him about buying the club, but uh, he didn't feel were, were serious bidders. This, as far as I know, is the only offer where Mike Ashley has um, actually committed to selling the club. So the Saudi Arabian version is that they have an exclusive deal with Mike Ashley that he cannot escape from. They've paid a substantial deposit. The only thing that can prevent them from buying the club is the Premier League refusing them permission to become owners of one of their member clubs. Um, So their view is that they're not interested in what anyone else says um, uh, about plans to buy the football club because they have control of the situation from the perspective of having that um, agreement with Mike Ashley. And uh, uh, they're, they're actually quite sceptical that anyone else would have been able to put the, the finances in place um, to have a deal ready to go should the Premier League say no to them. Um, why? Because uh, it's an expensive process to um, to get uh, the, the amount of funds uh, in position to make a 300 million or 350 million has been reported for the, uh, for the, the, the bid from America um, transaction in play. You can, you can talk about these things, but to actually have the structures ready to do a deal um, in place of another um, agreed bid is an expensive process and they think unlikely. Uh, and you know, the, what I can say is I, I don't sense any concern from them whatsoever that uh, they're about to be gazumped uh, or that someone else is going to take control of the football club. There is definitely a degree of concern over the, the Premier League decision. Uh, they want to downplay it. Their argument is 
that there is no legal reason why the Premier League should um, not give PIF, the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund, um, PCP Partners, Amanda Stavely's company, and the Rubin Brothers control of Newcastle United. That's been their, their stance from the beginning. They say they did a lot of uh, due diligence to work out whether there was a possibility of that happening. They're confident that there wasn't a legal basis for them not to get the club. However, as we've said in the podcast many times, there has never been this degree of protest over a takeover. There's been never been this degree of scrutiny. We've never seen human rights um, concerns, sports washing concerns uh, talked about so in such detail before a deal has been put in place. We've never been waiting for a World Trade Organization on whether a country um, was engaged or um, complicit in piracy of Premier League and other um, major football competitions, television rights. That decision came out this week. Um, it did not go in Saudi Arabia's favour, as despite Saudi Arabia's attempts to um, to portray it in an official press release that uh, WTO had found in their favour. Um, the, the case was essentially that Saudi Arabia had prevented um, being FIFA, Premier League and others from taking legal action against BLQ in Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, WTO were unhappy with that. So <sighs> that, you would think, strengthens the case of the Qatari broadcasters who have written to the Premier League advising that they do not allow Saudi Arabia um, to have control of one of their football clubs because they've been stealing um, their television rights and their intellectual property or failing to protect them in the country for several years now. Um, again, the buyer's view is that legally there is no reason why the Premier League should use any of the WTO verdict or anything that's been presented so far under their fit and proper person's test, their owner and director's test, to say Newcastle United uh, should not have control of the club. The indications um, coming from the Premier League are that they will make a decision this week. Um, I don't know whether that will be formally announced. As you say, it would be unprecedented for them to um, actually make an announcement, a public statement about um, granting permission or, or blocking permission for an entity to buy a Premier League club. They've never done that before. Um, more likely, they will communicate their decision to Newcastle United, who will communicate it to PCP. And, uh, and I'm told from the buyers that even when that uh, decision is communicated to Newcastle United, Saudi Arabia will not make a statement until funds have been transferred and they have complete control of the club. That's the way Saudi Arabians do business um, they do not make announcements about ownership until they have absolute control. So we have been told to expect a delay between the, the Premier League communicating that to Newcastle and Saudi Arabia making a statement. Um, they, the buyers, are not... I asked them whether they'd also heard indications from the Premier League that a decision would come through this week. They said they were not aware of that. So um, if the Premier League are definitely playing their cards close to their chest if the information I have of and the indication that they make a decision is correct. 
Um, it's, I think it's, it's really, a, it's a, it's a hard one to call this. Um, it, it's, as I say, it's, we've never been in this situation before. I think it's going to be difficult for the Premier League either way. If they grant um, control to Saudi Arabia, there's going to be significant protest about that. Uh, if they don't grant control, I think there's a good chance we see a legal challenge from um, the Saudi Arabian end and potentially also from Mike Ashley. And, and then we'll find out whether there genuinely is another buyer in place to take over from Saudi Arabia if they don't get it. Because you would imagine the, the person who will be most unhappy about a deal not going through will be Mike Ashley because he will then lose um, that £300 million he was expecting to take from PIF, PCP and the Rubin brothers um, for his club and lose the profit he was expecting to take in Newcastle. Yes, he'll get to keep, or he should get to keep the, the substantial deposit that's been paid. But um, uh, he will certainly have, if, if he chooses to go down that line, uh, a potential legal case against the Premier League over whether they have applied uh, the rules properly in this case. He is short of a few bob, isn't he, Mike Ashley? So, um, you know, we wish him well if he needs to take legal action regarding <laughs> the sale of uh, Newcastle United. I'm sure the Geordie faithful, um, from everything I've read on social media uh, and also on our own social media channels um, from Newcastle fans, that they are very uh, excited and remain hopeful that the takeover goes through on the basis that they are expecting and um, certainly hopeful that they will get a ownership of the club which will invest uh, more than anything in the playing staff and return Newcastle to a club who don't just try to dodge relegation but fight for trophies. Um, it's interesting, Ian, that you mentioned the Geordie faithful because the Geordie faithful have been uh, have been busy, um, or a percentage of them have been busy watching Amanda Stavely's court case against uh, really? this week. Mm. Um, that is available for anyone to watch because the proceedings are um, on video and, and the proceedings are taking place um, and not uh, primarily in the court itself. A lot of people are um, are calling in their evidence. And, uh, and Newcastle United supporters have been watching and, and, and managed to extract an apology from Barclays lawyers this week when uh, one of the Barclays lawyers was caught commenting, presumably unaware that uh, their microphone was, was still on, that, um, that Stavely in, in one of her many days of testimony, and I think she was due to be on the stand um, well into next week, was obviously lying and that had she had been crashing and burning uh, during that days of evidence. And, and apparently Newcastle United supporters emailed in to the judge to say this was unacceptable. Um, and uh, an apology was extracted from Barclays lawyers the next day. And um, apparently the judge commented uh, thanking members of the public for, their, uh, for alerting them to that uh, transgression of, of, uh, of court rules. So Newcastle United fans not been allowed into Premier League matches for um, some time now, but uh, they are managing to be active participants in a, in a high court case. So you've got to applaud their ingenuity in this case. Always love the Geordies uh, for that kind of stance. Um, if only the same could be said of um, some fans when um, Phil Jones 
said sacked in the morning about Billy Gunnar Solskjaer and Edward turned and said shut up you're on television um, <laughs> uh, not quite obviously the same response from the Manchester United fans as it was from the Geordies to Amanda Staley's court case we're going to end the news section of the podcast today with um, you know we don't as you will recognise um, knock down transfer stories that have appeared in the media because Duncan and I are experienced journalists and we know what it takes to get a story, stand it up and put it out there. Um, however, we have had information regarding Moussa Dembele and links to Leicester City Football Club. And Duncan, you don't think that this necessarily has a lot of uh, traction? Uh, I, I think it's I think you'd have to say there's very uh, limited traction in this one. I, I contacted. Are you saying? Uh, are you saying it's utter pish? I, uh, <laughs> as Graham Hunter would say. <laughs> well, let, let's just say I asked Musa Dembele's uh, close friend um, about this today. Um, whether it was a possibility that Leicester City uh, were trying to sign him and whether he'd be interested in going there, given that we've got such a strange market, given that Leicester City have got um, a decent amount of cash, uh, probably in a better financial position than the majority of Premier League clubs. They look like having Champions League football next season. And obviously, Moussa Dembele um, played for Brendan Rodgers um, for a long period and for a successful period. So just ask the question, is there is there anything happening there? And the response that came back is, this rumour is absolute nonsense and rubbish. Um, and he basically went on to say that Musa would not be interested in leaving Leon for Leicester City. Um, that a player who is the top scorer at Leon um, the next stage on his career path and Musa Dembele has had a very astute and long-term uh, focus on where his career would go. Um, and he wants to get to the top of European football. He wants to get to the top of the French football. We talked about this in the podcast many times, discussing uh, Premier League clubs, in particular Brighton, who who tried to sign Dembele and Dembele um, declining to take that move because he didn't feel it was the right one for the right time. And they certainly don't feel that Leicester is the right move at this time um, and does not make any sense at all. And and then there's the additional factor that um, Dembele and Brendan Rodgers' time together at Celtic did not end well. Um, if you want to hear the details of this, I would refer you back to podcasts I think we did last year um, where we talked about how um, Dembele uh, felt like he was let down by Brendan Rodgers, um, particularly when Brendan, after he had agreed to leave, uh, well, forced the Celtic board to allow him to leave um, Celtic to go to Leon, that Brendan Rodgers had gone and, and essentially killed him with the Scottish press um, by uh, saying things that Dembele insists are untrue about how that, that deal transpired um, and uh, and apparently Dembele has no interest whatsoever in working for Brendan Rodgers again. Um, so I think this one goes in the category of extremely unlikely um, to happen, even if Leicester uh, were attempt to do something there. 
extremely unlikely. Not a phrase we use very often on the Transfer Window podcast, but we offer it to you with regards to the possibility of Mr. Dembele and Leicester City. We were going to end today's broadcast with our heroes and villains, and I am going to turn over the mic to Duncan Castles with regards to our hero, uh, who I'm sure you will all be very familiar with. Yeah, I think this is the easiest one we've ever had to do. It um, it just has to be Marcus Rashford, um, who I think, I, I, I hope to be corrected on this. It'd be great if, if someone can come up with a better example, but I think he's achieved something uh, um, no Premier League footballer, possibly any footballer has done before, which is uh, change government policy on on a matter of of huge interest to millions of people uh, in the UK um, over poverty and over providing uh, free meals for um, uh, children who cannot afford to feed themselves properly through the COVID pandemic and through the summer period and, and managed to do it with uh, a very astute, reasoned, carefully presented argument um, that, uh, that that even this government was unable to resist, and uh, and had to step back and um, do what Rashford was advising them to do, and what it seems the vast majority of the population of the UK think was the, the right thing to do. So, hugely impressed by what Marcus Rashford has achieved this week, and clear a clear hero of the week for us. It seems a little um, priggish to um, even have a, a villain, Duncan, um, on a podcast like this where Marcus Rashford is so clearly um, in the realms of uh, people who we respect. But uh, I did happen to catch the health secretary, Matt Hancock, or Handjob, as he's known amongst Premier League footballers, uh, on uh, live television this morning when he referred to Marcus as Daniel Rashford um, and him plus his Prime Minister who claimed that he didn't even know or was aware of Rashford's fair share campaign until yesterday when he then did a volta facie and changed the, uh, his stance on it to make sure that underprivileged children who would suffer throughout the summer if they hadn't have guaranteed meals um, or provided for. So, um, villains, well, there you go. That's as far as I'm going to go with it because I'd much rather focus on Marcus Rashford. Um, a very, very impressive and formidable young man who has made a difference uh, because he has supported people who needed his help against the government who were denying the plight of the poor. This has been the Transfer Window podcast. If you want to continue the debate, then please do so on our social media channels. Uh, they are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Again, we welcome very much uh, your comments and uh, we do so on our personal accounts, which is at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. As you know, we like to engage, happily take your questions and respond, and we'll do so very much in goodwill. We will be back later this week. Until then, we would like to say, Hail Marcus Ratchford, 
Stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.